following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. Well, many of you may remember a children's book, and if you don't remember the children's book, maybe you are familiar with the movie that came out several years ago that was based off this children's book. It's a book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, very bad day. And this book is centered around a main character. Anybody want to guess the main character's name? Yeah, it's Alexander. Good job. <laughs> it's based on, on this, this child named Alexander. And Alexander goes to bed one night. He's got chewing gum in his mouth. He wakes up the next morning. He's got this chewing gum matted in his hair. Um, nothing goes right at breakfast. On the ride to school, he has to sit in the middle seat in the back. At school, he has a a test and he forgets the number 16. His mom forgets to pack a dessert with his lunch. After school, he inadvertently messes up his dad's office. And for dinner that night, his mom serves lima beans. It is truly a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And we've... We've all had one of those days, haven't we? You've had one of those days. Maybe you've had a, a week or a month or a season or maybe even feels like a year where everything goes wrong, where every outcome is a worst case scenario. And sometimes in those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, the best thing we can do is go to sleep, tough it out, go to bed. And wait for a new day. Because there's always a a feeling of hope in that new day, isn't there? Well, Easter morning offers us a a new day on steroids. (laughs) See, after a holy week that saw Jesus enter Jerusalem to crowds of people cheering his name and praising him as the Messiah, he's eventually betrayed, rejected, abused, spit upon, mocked, crucified, and laid in a tomb. Every one of his followers endured that weekend thinking about the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day they had just experienced. And then, and then, their lives were changed as the light of a new day broke over the empty tomb. The question I want to ask you today is this, how do you see the hope of a new day through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? We're going to find our answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is a a beautiful chapter in the New Testament that centers around the resurrection. And we understand we get there because Paul has spent most of his letter telling the church in Corinth how they can live together in the power of Christ and in the, in the wisdom of God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. The word of the cross, the message of the cross, is the gospel, the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He said this is the power that enables us to live together in the power of Christ and in the wisdom of God. 
By the time he gets to chapter 15, Paul addresses Jesus' resurrection directly. And he says, yes, I know that this idea of Jesus being resurrected is foolishness to those who are perishing, who don't want anything to do with him. But it is obviously and necessarily true. And he discusses the, the historical verification of the resurrection by eyewitness accounts in verses 1 through 11. He talks about the theological reality of Jesus' physical death and resurrection in verses 12 through 49. And then he turns his attention to the results of Jesus' victory on the cross and with the empty tomb, his victory over sin and death. And he says, because Jesus is victorious on Easter morning, then by his resurrection, our lives are changed. He shows us this in verse 54 through 58. And the second half of 54 starts, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always exceeding in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In our time together today, I want us to zero in on verses 56 and 57. And in these two short verses, we get a a basis for our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because first, Paul explains to us the power behind death. The power behind death in the first half of verse 56. He says, the sting of death is sin. Right? The sting of death is sin. Now, death holds a great power in our life in this world, doesn't it? In fact, most psychologists would argue that the fight for human survival is as influential on our response to life events as anything else, whether we realize it or not. But, but why is that? Why are we so afraid of or, or uncomfortable with death? L- let me put it this way. Why does a bee sting hurt so badly? It's not because you get poked with the stinger. I mean, that doesn't feel good. Nobody likes that. But the the pain of a bee sting doesn't come from being poked with the stinger. That hurts. But that's not the reason it hurts so badly. It hurts so badly because the stinger of the bee carries a compound called melatonin. A compound that triggers pain receptors, causing a burning sensation in your skin. See, the pain of death isn't dying, just like the pain of the bee sting isn't getting stung. The pain of the bee sting comes from the poison that's delivered. And the pain of death isn't dying, it's the poison of sin. So the reason we fear death is because we are infected by sin so that we deserve death. And the reality is we all know that, don't we? I mean, if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we, we know we deserve nothing great. We deserve death. We know our mistakes. And in fact, we know our sin. We know our, our deserving of death better than anybody else, right? You know your sins better than anybody else does. You know your mistakes. You know your animosity. You know your disrespect. You know your hardness of heart. You know your judgmental nature. You know, go on down the list. And when we study the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we realize that we don't look like him. 
right? My life is filled with all of these things that fall short of who Jesus is. And so I know I sin. And so I know that I deserve death because I sin, right? And the takeaway from this is is simply this. We fear death because we sin. If you and I never sinned, we'd have no reason to fear death. Right? Even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, whatever worldview you hold to, if you never sinned, if you were a perfect person, you would have no reason to fear death. Right? If you were a Buddhist or you believed in some Eastern religion or whatever it was, you would, by not sinning, you would receive the best after this life. You'd receive the best reincarnation. You'd receive the best plane of existence. You'd receive the, the best of self-actualization or whatever it is you believe. But the problem is we do sin and we do deserve death and we know it. Happy Sunday morning. Happy Easter morning to you all. <laughs> but, but let's go on. Let's follow Paul's statement. Because he shows us the power behind death is sin. But then he also goes on in the second half of verse 56 to show us the power behind sin. And he says uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, second half says, And the power of sin is the law. And the power of sin is the law. Sin is the power behind death, but the law gives power to sin. And when we talk about the law here, what we really mean is the law of righteousness, the law of the flesh. We're talking about the Old Testament here. In the Old Testament, the law explained to God's people and to us a couple of things. First of all, it describes God's holiness, God's perfect nature. But it also shows us how we would have to live and how our lives would have to look if our salvation depended upon us being good enough. Let me show you one thing in in Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 20, verse 9 through 13. God speaks through Ezekiel, and he says, But I acted for the sake of my name so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations they were living among, and in whose sight I made myself known to Israel by bringing them out of Egypt. So I brought them out of the land of Egypt and led them into the wilderness. Then I gave them my statutes and explained my ordinances to them. The person who does them will live by them. I also gave them my Sabbaths to serve as a sign between me and them so that they would know that I am the Lord who consecrates them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my statutes and they rejected my ordinances. The person who does them will live by them. You hear what happens here? God says, if you want to be the master of your own destiny, you want to be in control of your salvation, then you have to live up to my standards. You have to be perfect, as my law says. Right? And if you want to be in control, you will live by the law. You will live by keeping every single aspect of the law. Right, but the problem is, again, we all know we sin. We fail to measure up to the standard of God's holiness. And that's, that's the whole point. Paul tells us, all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah says we all like sheep have gone astray. Right? We all sin. We all fall short. None of us deserve to be saved because we don't keep the entire law. 
If I asked you to describe the, the best Christian you know, there would be a name that would probably come to mind for you. And if I said, well, okay, describe that person to me, what would your description be? For most of us, when we think of that person, we would say, well, they're, they're kind, they're gracious, they're generous, they're wise, they know their Bible really well. Maybe we'd say they pray a lot or they pray really beautiful and powerful sounding prayers. Maybe we say, well, they, they teach Bible studies or groups or they preach sermons or they're really good at sharing their faith with others. And, and those are great things. I would argue even necessary acts of our religion. But here's the thing. If they're our benchmark of salvation or even our benchmark of spiritual maturity, then we operate under the law. We operate under the, the acts that they can show. Right? The law says, just do this or just do that, and then God will take care of you. If you can just be a little better, then you can be happy. Then you can be successful. Then you can be fulfilled. Then you can be saved. And I'm going to let you off the hook today if that's your standard and that's what you're trying to live up to and you feel that weight crushing you down every single day of trying to be good enough, let me, t- let me let you off the hook. You will never be good enough. I will never be good enough. That's the power behind sin is that when we measure ourselves up to the law, we don't measure up. But Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross took care of what we needed to be done. Because while the law says do this or do that and God will love you, the cross and the empty tomb say God loves you, so Jesus did that. Right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. you hear it? It's not about our actions. We can't be good enough. We can't be mature enough. We can't earn salvation. It's not about our actions, what we can do, what we can show other people. Those may be outworkings of our faith growing and maturing inside of us, but those are not the standard of salvation, of the power of God. Because we can never measure up. That's the power of the law. So let me ask you this, what's your aim in life today? As you think about what what lies ahead in the, the days, the weeks, the months, the years ahead, what's your aim? Is it to to be a better person? Is it to achieve more? Is it to gain something? Right? What is driving you? I want you to hold on to that thought. Because the law brings to light the sin which empowers death. This is the MO of a life lived according to this world. But fortunately, we know a better way. We know there's, there's a better way. And in verse 57, Paul tells us about that better way. In verse 57, he says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us about the power behind love. The power behind love is the victory through Christ. Because victory comes only through the person and the work of Jesus. Again, our best efforts, our best offerings, our best anything results in nothing but death. 
And that is a textbook definition of powerlessness. That no matter what you do, no matter how well you do it, no matter how greatly you achieve, you still have the same result, which is death. But Jesus' resurrection marks his powerful and complete victory over sin and over death. His power does what our powerlessness cannot. And this is a life-altering reality that you are powerless against sin, you are powerless against death, but sin and death are powerless against the empty tomb of the risen Savior. Because there is power in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a victorious power that conquers all the darkness, all the pain, all the emptiness, all the relational strife, and everything that is wrong in this world. It has all been conquered by Jesus. This is the victory of the gospel. That the God who created the heavens and the earth, the incredible world that we get to live in, also knit us together and put us in this world so that we would see his glory, so that we would know him and be able to love him and be able to serve him with all joy for all of eternity. But because we are broken and selfish people, we reject him. God says, here, let me give you life. And he gave Adam and Eve the garden. They said, thanks, God, that's awesome. And then they turned around and tried to do things their own way. And they fell. And they turned back to God. They said, God, we're sorry. And God said, I love you. Here, let me take care of you. Here's life. And their descendants, from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, into the New Testament, all the way to today, we all continue to say, hey, God, thanks for life. Thanks for this gift. That's awesome. We're so grateful. Now let us do things our own way. And we turn around and we fall. He continues to welcome us back into his arms. And this happened in the Old Testament over and over and over and over again until God came to the point where he said, okay, now is the time. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be born in Bethlehem so that he could live a perfect life, being the only person who never deserved to die so that he could be crucified, putting himself in our place so that by his blood he would pay the debt that is owed by your sin and my sin. So he could be laid in a tomb so that three days later he could rise again, conquering sin and death once and for all. So that you and I could be delivered into the Father's presence, not based on what we could do, but based on what Jesus had already done. You see, Jesus didn't die and rise because he needed to. He died and rose because we need him to. If you only know one verse in the entire Bible, you know John 3.16. Which says, for God so what? Loved the world. That he what? Gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection offers the expression of God's love for his children. Of his love for you and of his love for me. See, victory in this life is only delivered through the perfect love of Jesus. You can try to win in this life with all your best efforts. You can do all the right things, earn earn a lot of money, have a great family, work all the angles, and it will still end the same way. Defeat. But in Jesus' infinite love for you and for me, we are offered a new way of life. One that brings true joy and hope and peace through the love of Jesus, who is victorious over sin and death 
who's victorious over this world by his death and resurrection. So what's the power behind your life today? Is it death? Is it sin? Is it the law? Or is it the love of Jesus Christ? When Jesus went willingly to the cross, he shed his blood and gave his life as a, the payment demanded by your sins and my sins. Then through his resurrection, he broke the power of death once and for all. For those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus as our king, not as a, a good moral teacher who can give us a better life on earth, not as the center of our Sunday mornings when we don't have something better to do, but as the eternal, sovereign, risen, and reigning king of our entire lives, we get to know the joy and the hope and the freedom of his love. We get to know the peace of his provision. We get to know the vision and the purpose of his kingdom at work. We get a new day broken through the darkness of a hopeless, lost, and broken world. And listen, if you're sitting here today and you haven't made that choice, I have one simple question for you. Why not? Because you've been striving for success and for happiness and for moral excellence and for satisfaction and all the things your culture tells you will satiate that yearning inside of you. And you may have even found it for brief periods of time. But in your honest moments, how's that going for you? Does it ever really fulfill you? Or does it give you a, a taste of something you want to grab a hold of and hold on to but can never quite get? Listen, if you feel that emptiness, that unsatisfied groan in your soul today, I'd love to talk to you about it. You can um, fill out one of those connection cards in the seats in front of you, drop it in our offering baskets on the way out. Or you can email me, call me, text me this week. I'd love to talk to you. And there's people sitting around you who would love to talk to you about this as well. We would love to tell you about how you'll never find what you're looking for until you look to Jesus Christ and let him bring the new day and the new life into your heart. And for my brothers and sisters in Christ, may we celebrate the resurrection today with a renewed vigor. Remembering that the empty tomb is not merely the, the cause for a morning of celebration. It is a celebration of the love that changes every moment from this one on. In Christ's resurrection, we are given new hope, new joy, and new life. So let us rejoice in the power of our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, today. Because the tomb is empty and he is risen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gift of life, the gift of hope, the gift of joy, the gift of your presence. And Father, we repent of the ways we've tried to, to manage that on our own. We've tried to get to you by our works, by our efforts. We've thought we can do enough. And we repent, we turn away from that and we turn back to you. And we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for his life, which showed him to be perfect in every way. We thank you for his death, which pays the penalty for our sin. And we thank you for his resurrection, which conquered death and delivers us into your presence for all eternity. When we, by faith, trust in him and him alone. 
Lord, we thank you for your constant forgiveness, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for the new day you have brought to our hearts and to our lives, that we may celebrate that we are no longer lost to our efforts, but we are found as children of the Most High God. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.